Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. Y'all are kind. Good morning. Happy New Year. Man, you know that God is up to something in the world? Like, he, he is at work in the world, and there's an incredible story going on in the world that started way before we ever existed and will continue way after we're gone. And God, is, he's doing something in the world. He, he started with a mission, and it, it goes back to the garden, back to the beginning, and he never gave up on that plan. And it's his desire that the knowledge of the glory of God, as Habakkuk 2.14 says, that it would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. That word knowledge doesn't mean that people would know about. It means that they would have intimate knowledge of. And I believe that that's the story that's going on, and I believe that's the story that God is inviting you and I to live inside of, to be participants in. And so we're, gonna, we're starting a, a series this morning called Missio Dei. It's the, the mission of God or the sending of God. And we're, for the next several weeks, going to talk about the part that we play and what God is doing in the world and what that looks like for us to give our lives to and how we can participate in his work. And let me say this to you. It's way bigger than just missions and mission trips. And it's way bigger, though I love those things. It's way bigger than just praying for people and sharing Jesus on the streets, though we need to be doing that. It has to do with every bit of our lives. It has to do with how we raise our kids. It has to do with how we interact with our spouse. It has to do with how we do the work that God has called us to with our hands and with our minds. It has to do with his kingdom being over all and in all. I believe that's what God's up to, and that's what he is inviting us into. And one of the things Shane and I have been talking, he's talking next week, but just that Really, the, the mission of God is family. Like, family is the mission. It, it's not about notches on our belt. It's not about just projects. It's not even about, though I'm excited to go to Burundi and, and, and be a part of launching what God's doing there. It's not just about trips and projects. It's that, that God is a father. I love what one of my spiritual fathers, Jack Taylor, used to say. He said, if God wanted something other than a family, he would have told us to call him something other than father. And so it's actually a family initiative that God's in on and he's inviting us in on. And here's what that means, that, that our, our efforts have to be about our neighbors, about nations, and about generations. And it, and it has to be not just that we would get people to pray a prayer, but that they would experience the very family of God. And, and I, I, I'm convinced of this, that in the age of information, when you can find an argument for or against uh, everything, and it seems to be provable even with data, that, that more information is not going to win the day. And that the best apologetic of our day is not simply sound doctrine and good sermons, though we need those things. But the best apologetic of our day is is Family. You see, the the role of an apologetic is to explain or to argue, and I I think this in the day of information that we're in, that the best argument for God is not here, but it's actually here. That as people would encounter the love of God and the power of God 
in the context of relationships and family, both directly from him, but also with each other, that it's transformative. And that it's in that place that we see the glory of God begin to cover the earth. It's not just that people would make uh, intellectual agreement with some philosophies and theologies and ideologies, but it's actually that people would say, wow, I am transformed by the love of God in our midst. And here's what that means for us. That means for us that, w- that we have to learn to love well, that we have to heal, that we have to, to grow in our understanding of family. The truth is none of us come from the perfect family. And for some of us, even the word family is so painful that we want to run the other way when we hear it. In fact, we, in the, in the early days of our, our church that says family on mission, and we were like, man, that's a, a, a difficult word. Should we even use that word? Um, but, I, but I actually believe it, it's what God's after. And I think Shane and I were talking about this along with Carlos, our, our buddy who was here uh, in November, but, but is leading a church in Omaha. We're just, we've been talking about this idea that when we change the conversation from the paradigm of family, we stop talking about the kingdom. We, we move on to something else because it was always meant to be about family. That's what God's up to. That's what he's into. And, and I think we can reduce it to meetings and gatherings and events and those things aren't bad. I love getting together with my biological family. Uh, it's good to have birthday celebrations and Christmas and all those events, but it's way deeper than that. It's about the relational connection. It's about, man, when, when my family's not doing well, when my siblings aren't walking in their call with God, that I'm praying for them and loving them and encouraging them into it. And what if we begin to treat the world like that? What if we... What if we broke down the barrier of us and them that religion loves to create? Like, what, what if the, the world out there wasn't our enemy? What if it was our family that's just estranged? How would we treat them? I think we would treat them way differently. We may stop trying to argue them and yell at them, and we may even start loving them. I think that's what God's up to. So as we talk about the, the mission of God, I, I think about my own kind of unique story. I suppose everybody's story's a bit unique. But I, I, I grew up in a missionary family. My, my grandfather, grandmother were, were missionaries to uh, Central America, planted churches um, there. And that was kind of the atmosphere of our family. And so growing up, I grew up in, in Houston, but we would have missionaries from around the world come and they would stay at our house. And so I remember four, five, six years old, staying up as late as my parents would let me at the dinner table, just listening. And I'd listen to the stories of what God was doing around the world. I'd, I'd listen to, to God moving in, in places often in, in Latin America, but, but sometimes in, in other places uh, far away like Asia or Africa. And I'd hear these stories and think, man, I want to be in on that, like my heart would begin to beat for the the great story of God that they were telling pieces of. When I was 12, I went on my first mission trip. We went all the way, uh, my first plane ride, by the way, all the way to uh, Harlingen, Texas, Um, (laughs) long 55-minute plane ride from Houston. 
And I remember being with my older brother, Josh. I was 12, he was 14, and we were working in what was called a colonia, and we were building houses and sharing the gospel, just loving on people. And I remember walking those streets at 12 years old, and my brother, Josh, who uh, is now uh, just moved back from Greece, he's one of our missions partners, he and his wife and their four kids, they're, they're in Dallas, and they're working with uh, refugees and Muslim background believers all over the world, coaching them in places throughout Europe, uh, the Middle East, some of the darkest places in the world. But, but I was 12 and he was 14. I remember walking the streets and my heart began to beat for what God was up to. And I re- remember thinking this thought that actually knowing this is what I'm supposed to give my life to. Like the, the missions and ministry was the call of God for my life. And let me say this to you. I, I, I don't think it's simply, it's, it's maybe uniquely for me in, in church leadership and missions and planting churches, but I actually think it's what God's inviting all of us into. Amen. One of the divides, it's not just the us-them divide that we need to break down, it's also the clergy-laity divide. It's like we're, we're all called, and we've all got unique grace on our lives, and we all have purpose, and, and it and the truth is, the best chance at reaching and loving our, our city, our region, is not from this place or in this place. It's actually out of this place. It's, it's you in your workplace with your neighbors. It's you um, with your kids and in their schools and all that kind of stuff. And, but I, I remember that. My brother had the same uh, experience at that time, and it really marked our lives. And fast forward... I think I was probably 17 um, on another mission trip. I'd been on a handful in between there, and I was in uh, the capital city of Honduras, Tegucigalpa, and this is hilarious. Uh, I had a a few projects that I was leading, or one project I was leading, two I was participating in. One, we were doing a basketball camp for this high school. And so I uh, don't necessarily look like it, but was a basketball player on uh, to college, and and, and so I was, anyways, in high school, and I'm, I'm coaching uh, these kids in basketball and trying to teach them basketball and uh, practicing my Spanish, which I found out wasn't all that great because I was, they were like slapping the ball, right? And it just, you don't have any control over the ball when you hit it with your palm. And so I attempted to tell them, don't dribble with your palms, dribble with your fingers. But instead, I said, don't dribble with your hands, dribble with your toes. <laughs> So, so we, were, we were doing basketball camp in the morning, and in the evening, we were doing cheerleading camp. And, and they came to me, and they said, Joel, in this PE class in the afternoon, there's guys, and there's no way that we're going to get the ability to speak into the lives of these guys unless you help coach the cheerleading camp. I don't know if you've ever seen me move. <laughs> it's not pretty. Like, hopefully our kids get Lauren's gracefulness with movement and music and all that stuff. So anyways, I was leading a, a cheerleading camp too. You could just picture that in your head. We did some sort of cha-cha thing. And, and then another part of the trip, we were fixing a roof on the top of Al 
El Central High School in Tegucigalpa, Honduras, a school of about 10,000 students. And I was 17, and we had several construction professionals on our team, but the youth pastor that I was working with said, Joel, I want you to lead this team. It's like, I, I don't understand. Why would you have me lead this team? There's all these other guys, but I, I said yes. And there, there's something about, by the way, challenging and empowering people uh, above their ability that sets them into their destiny. And, and I, th- I think there was something that happened there. But anyway, so I'm on the top of that school, and we've finished tarring the roof and doing all the stuff that I didn't know how to do. And, uh, and I remember watching the sunset from the roof over the city. And God spoke something to my heart. He said, Joel, you're at home. And I knew in that moment what he wasn't saying to me, though I actually had family legacy in Honduras that, that Honduras or Tegucigalpa or doing roofs on schools in third world countries was home for me. That's not what God was saying. But what he was saying to me is that when you're living in the mission of God, that's where you're most at home. I'd like to say that to you. You may never leave this country. You may never leave this county. But you living in the mission of God is what you were created for. That's where you're best at home. And the temptation for all of us is whether it's through lust, which by the way is not just a sexual term, whether it's through lust or pain and disappointment, that we would live out a lesser story. That we would settle for less than God's best for us, that we wouldn't live out what he created us for. This morning, I believe that God is inviting us to step back into the story of God. Or maybe it's even for the first time to submit your life to Jesus and step into the story of God. One of the things that we've done, I think one of the disservices we've done to the world, is that we have made the gospel about going to heaven when you die, and we've missed the in-between bit. This says you live with Jesus as your Lord, and you enter into the story that he's living, and that you would in fact leave your own story and say, you know what, I'm going to give up all the vain pursuits. And what this doesn't mean necessarily for any of us is that we change our occupation or we change uh, uh, the place that we live, but it's actually found in the how we do what we do and how we live where we live that we engage in the mission of God. So I think if we're going to understand the mission of God, we've got to go to the beginning. So go with me to Genesis chapter 1. And this will be where we are for the morning. If you don't know where Genesis 1 is, it's right after the table of contents. (laughs) Genesis 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Let me just say this. This is a a key for us in our day. There are uh, lots of arguments. Some of them I don't have great answers for philosophically. But when we move away from the idea that God created, we lose the whole plot of the story. And you may get there through an old earth theory or a young earth theory. Quite honestly, it doesn't matter a ton to me how you get there. Um, We know this, that Genesis 1 is poetry, so it's not ever intended to be the full-on scientific detail of what happened, but what it does tell us is that God created in the very beginning, and it begins to unpack what that looked like 
in some form that should inform to us that God created. Can you say with me, God created? created. And here's what that means, the fact that God created is that he didn't accidentally have something spill out that created all of this, but that it was on his heart to create. In fact, here's what we know from Ephesians chapter one, that Jesus was the Lamb of God, is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation or the founding of the earth. Here's what that tells us, that from the very beginning, God intended to to enter into this mess with us and carry out a redemption story. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Here's the second thing we get out of this, is is that God created, and then he hovered. He brooded over what he created. And here's what that that word hover means. It's the the word that means brooding, and it's, it's what we get for a hen laying on her eggs so that they'll become chicks. It's that God intelligently designed and then it was his intent that heaven and earth would be connected by the brooding of his spirit. The very act of creativity was to cause life to exist and it's his heart that we would live in that same connection with him. That the spirit would connect the heavens and the earth and that it would cause it to live out its intended purpose. In fact, it's impossible for you and I to live out the intent that God has for us when we don't understand that we were always meant to live under the brooding of the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit is brooding over you now. And he's causing things to come to life in you now, things that God has planned for you from the very beginning. And he's saying, okay, now it's time to see this fire off in their lives. And now I'm depositing this grace and I'm causing them to come alive in this way. And what you can be sure of is if God is brooding, then you're not on your own and you don't have to make your own way. And you don't have to strive to make it happen. Even in the very mission of God, it's not about you trying harder to reach your neighbor, your coworker, or the unreached people group across the world. It's about you participating with the brooding of God so that it'll come to life. So we know that God created. Let's then go to, to verse 20. We're gonna skip few days here. And God said, let the water team with living creatures and let the birds above the earth fly across the vault of the sky. Go to verse 24 and it says, and God said, let land produce living creatures according to their kinds, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground and the wild animals, each according to its kind. So here's what we see happening here. This will make more sense of verse 26. What God did is he spoke to the environment that the living creation was supposed to be created from, and from within that environment, it caused life to flourish out of that environment. So he speaks to the sea. He says, see, let fish and all of the creatures of the ocean be. And then he, he says, land 
Let all of the vegetation, all of the life, all of creation come from that. And then we get to verse 26. And in verse 26, he doesn't speak to the dirt. He doesn't speak to the sea. He doesn't speak to the water. What he speaks to is to his very self, the very atmosphere that you and I were created to live in. He says, let us give life. And for you and I, we were always meant to live inside of the Trinity. He doesn't say, let me. He says, let us. Because what we see from the very beginning is that God existed in family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's from that place that God created all of humanity. And just as the fish of the sea swim in the waters that they're in and find their life there. And just as the, the animals of the earth live on earth and find life there, so you and I can only find the life that we were meant to live inside of that divine dance of the Holy Trinity. Yes. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're always going to feel like something else is lacking, like I'm missing something, like there's this part of me that has been ripped out and cut off and thrown away because the context that you were supposed to live in is inside of that relationship. And what Jesus came to do is he came to invite us back into life in the Trinity. In John 17, he talks about that life and he says that they would know you the way that I know you, and that they, that, we, that they would be in us the way that we're in each other. You were created to live in relationship with God. And if you want to live out the story of God, the mission of God, you're not going to find it apart from living with him, living in him, letting him be the atmosphere that you live in. I love what uh, Paul says in Acts 17. It's in him we live and we move and we have our being. That's where you were created to live. And so what happens is you and I, we feel tempted to live a lesser story. And we allow fear and we allow disappointment and we allow lust and we get sidetracked by these other things. Most of the time it's so subtle. And we begin to step out of God's very best for us. Out of his purpose, out of his mission. Let's keep going. So we got 26, let us make mankind in our own image, in our likenesses, that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. Let me say this. In many ways, I... uh, don't buy into a lot of the environmental stuff of our day. But I think if we miss this, then we miss part of what we were created for. And part of the reason I don't buy into it because I don't like the agenda behind it. But when we begin to understand that actually this world, God entrusted it to us. And we're called to be stewards of it. And we're not supposed to be wasteful and we're not supposed to damage it. We're actually supposed to cultivate it so that it would have life. That's an agenda I can get behind. That you've actually been given, cut out a a piece of this earth that you're supposed to cultivate so that it would represent the kingdom well. That's significant. 
And, and if that's what it means to be green, I'll, I'll go green. I'll be green. By the way, I'd, I'd recycle if that helps. <laughs> so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Let me step on some toes for, for a minute, just for fun. Somebody's excited. Shane's excited. Well, he's preaching next week, so he can clean up the mess I'm about to make. God created us in his image, male and female. And here's what that means for all of us, is that we were created in the image of God, and we carry a unique facet of the image of God. Who you are represents him well. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look like your dad. I see the family resemblance. And, and I think there have been seasons in church history where we have quite honestly disrespected and mistreated women so that they would feel as if they were lesser than the very image of God. But God created, somebody likes that, but God created, God actually created them as the pinnacle, the, the, the crowning piece, the cherry on top of all creation. That's not the toe-stepping part. I also recognize that we live in a day with incredible confusion around sexuality, around gender. And, and I say that with tears in my eyes because I think sometimes, church, we can get so into our arguments that we miss that it's people that are wrestling and struggling and trying their very best to live out what they were created to be. And let me say this. I, I was talking with Joseph this week, and he was talking about, by the way, this is Muzz's son from Australia. He's hanging out with this. What I'm about to say is not his fault, by the way. But we were just talking about the tension between compassion and conviction. And I think that's where we find ourselves. And, and, I, and I know you guys pretty well, and I think we probably all find ourselves caught in that tension. And I believe this, that when God created you, he didn't make any mistakes. Amen. And, I, and I also know this about myself, that I don't fully see myself rightly. I don't see everything about me. The truth is, when I got married, I tell people, it's like I actually saw myself in the mirror for the first time. It's like, wow, that's what I look like. That's what my interactions, that's what all of my stuff looks like. Lauren laughs because she's convinced that I don't ever look in the mirror anyways. <laughs> but the, the truth is, is that everybody's wrestling through their story. And we have to love people well in their story. 
And it doesn't mean that we compromise our conviction. I, I believe that God, when he created you, he was intentional in how he created you. He's not confused. We may be confused about parts of our identity, but he's not. But what that means for us, church, is that we don't pick up rocks. Instead, we love well. Like we become a place where people can wrestle and struggle and be where they are in the middle of confusion and experience the love of God and the family of God. And it doesn't mean that we have to compromise conviction in order to do that. In fact, I think if our, if our lead conviction is anything other than love, we've already missed it. And I don't think that love and truth ever find themselves in conflict. But they do find themselves in order. And so we lead with love. And as we lead in love, what we find is that truth begins to have relevance. And if we try to lead in truth and hope that one day they get the love out of the truth that we beat them over the head with, we've missed it. So I think that God was intentional in how he created us and it doesn't mean that we don't all have struggle. In fact, I think in, in, in a fallen world that there is, uh, we're often born with difficult struggles and propensity for sin in all sorts of ways and, and for all sorts of reasons. Our, our culture has made a few of these major battleground things and then, then been okay with other things that, that I think are just as valuable and meaningful to God. So I, I think that we're supposed to be, if we're going to be the family of God and live out the mission of God, then we've got to be a safe place for people to wrestle and to struggle. Amen? Amen. Hope your toes are okay. I bet they are. Verse 28, God said to them, God blessed them. Oh, that's good. God blessed them. God blesses you. He blesses you. He doesn't curse you. He's not set against you. He blesses you. And then he says to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing uh, that moves on the ground. So he says, you are entrusted with all of creation. And in chapter two, we pick up the story. I'm not gonna go into the verses. You could read it later. Chapter two, when we go into the story, what we find is that he places the, the original two, Adam and Eve, he places them in the Garden of Eden. You know this, that Eden means pleasure. You and I were always meant to live in the pleasure of God. And their task was to be fruitful and to multiply, to subdue the earth, and to fill it. Here's what that means practically. They were supposed to take the image of God, living in the pleasure of God, and multiply it for the glory of God to cover the whole earth. That's beautiful, isn't it? It's significant. It's powerful. That's what we were created for. And not simply in a physical sense. Like it's not simply, although it was crucial in their day, it's not simply about physical procreation. 
So if you're single in this place, it doesn't mean that you don't have a part to play in the story of God, in the mission of God. What we find is that Jesus came where sin entered in and it cast them out of Eden, the very pleasure of God. Jesus comes into the story and brings us back into Eden, not a physical Eden, but a spiritual Eden so that we can live in the pleasure of God. And from that place, in the middle of the pleasure of God, we're supposed to multiply, and that's where the Great Commission comes in. The Great Commission is a restoration of what was lost in the garden. It's that we would go and make disciples. And I, I love the way that Paul puts it in Galatians 4. It's, it's not simply that we go and make disciples as in converts to our ideology, but that we're actually seeing it people adopted back into the family of God. What Steve says all the time, and I think this is just a, a brilliant understanding of salvation, is that one of the best pictures or understandings for salvation is adoption. And it's that we're adopted back into the family of God. Here's what that means for you. Now, I'm kind of preaching to the choir when I say this because you're here. But a lot of people say, oh, I just need Jesus. I don't really need the church. But the reality is, and let me say this, the church, this church is imperfect and has problems and there's messes and there's relational stuff. And people come here and they get loved and they also get hurt. And I hate that, that they get hurt but it's the reality of all of our condition. But you were made to live in the family of God. You were adopted not simply into relationship with the Father, but that you would be reconciled to the family of God. And as we do that, what we find is that we need each other. So as we're going to, to Burundi in just a few hours, and by the way, as the four of us go, you're all going. We're all in this thing together. And as we go, what we're going to do is we're going to, to bless, to encourage, to equip a church that's going to be planted because there is an expression of the family of God that's needed there. And there are people who have been orphaned from God and from spiritual family that need to be brought back into the family of God. And they don't simply need to be seen as notches on a belt. And I think the church sometimes can, can do pretty poorly where we, we try everything we can to get people into the doors. And then once they're in the, in the doors, we don't really care for them anymore. But I, I think we care for them and then we help them grow and mature and step into their calling and launch them into spiritual maturity, into their call, and into healthy family. Not perfect family, but healthy family. I think that's what God's up to. And so I think for us as a church family, what we have a, a passion for, a desire to see in the years to come is that we would multiply churches all over the, the nation, all over the world, because I feel like what God wants to do is he wants to put people in family. And he wants to launch them in a way. And I, and I think the mission of God centers on the family of God. And maybe one of the best approaches we could have to evangelism is to say, hey, I want to introduce you to a God that loves you and to a, a family that you've always needed and never known you had.
God saw that all he had made was good, and there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. What God's up to in the world is good. It's very good. And he hasn't given up. He's inviting us to participate with him in the greatest story that's ever existed. If I'm going to be real honest about my own journey, there have been seasons where I've thought about throwing in the towel and living a lesser story. Like, I, I remember after being part of the first church planning team in England where I lived for a few years thinking, you know what? I'm not doing this anymore. Like, this is hard. I would rather throw in the towel. I can go make some money at business. I'll support missions. But I don't think I want to do this church thing anymore. It's just too hard. And that's not a knock on business. It's me saying, I knew my call and I wrestled with settling for less. For some of you, your call is right in the middle of business. And it's not just doing business, but it's how you do it. But I think this morning, I'd like to invite you to do this. Maybe you're in a place where you never realized, hey, there's a big story God's inviting me into, and I need to surrender my life to Jesus. Recognize that he died to give me his life, that he rose again, that he covered my sin and my shame, my separation from God, and brought me right with God. And I'm going to give my life to him and what he's up to in the world. You may also be in a place where you've been disillusioned and you've settled for living your own story. I think this would be a great time at the beginning of the year just to say, you know what, I'm going to surrender my story to the story of God. I'm going to stop living a lesser story, and whatever he has for me, I'm just going to lay my life down and say, I'm all in for what you're up to. So we're just going to have the altar open. Our ministry team, you guys can come forward. They'd love to pray with you. But if you're just at a place where you need to do business with God, then you can even come. You don't have to go to them. You can just come here and pray. You can stay in your seat, but we'd love to just pray with you. Um, if, you're, if you're saying, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus, I encourage you to let one of them pray with you for that. Also, just if you're wrestling with pain or sickness or just having a hard time and need somebody to pray for you, encourage you, then I would, I would love for you uh, to come forward and just receive from them. They would love to pray for you. I, I do feel like there's somebody here, you've had chronic back pain, maybe since uh, childbirth, like since you gave birth, some stuff's just been out of whack, and I think God's going to put that in order for you. He's going to heal you, and so if that's you, if you've got back pain, or if you've just had back pain for a long time, male or female, then they would love to pray for you. Let me pray for us. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Lord, for the great invitation to live in your story. And Lord, we just declare that we're all in with you. We're committed to what you're up to. We love you, Jesus. Amen.